Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to a post-deadline edition of Dunkdown Live. Much to discuss here. Go ahead and get your questions in and... We'll get started. I'll just be silent until we get a request, or we can just end the show because there are no requests. Well, <laughs> well let's let's talk briefly as we're waiting for requests to come in about the game that we did for the NBA strategy stream last night. I thought that was both a very strong performance from the New Orleans Pelicans and also a surprisingly weak one from the Raptors. Yeah, I would say so. And you know what? I don't want to talk about that anymore, though. Thank you for trying to kill the time. Let's get Francis in here. Francis, uh, I actually, I don't know if we've ever talked to Francis I before. believe I have. Okay. Yeah, I think he actually has been a Patreon subscriber and then dunked on Prime subscriber for a long time. I don't think I've ever actually talked to him, though. How you doing, Francis? Uh, hi, guys. Hey, good good to have you on. We loved uh, all your great questions over the years. Thanks for being such a great subscriber for us. Uh, thank you. I'm longtime friend. I want to ask about uh, the Portugal Blazers. Uh, what you, do you think about their, uh, their trade deadline? They're talking about cap space, flexibility, draft picks, and some guys like Jer- Jeremy Grant. And what do you think that uh, Anthony Simons and Yusuf Nurkic will get this offseason? Yeah. You know, it's funny, like a lot of people have been shitting on what the Blazers did at the deadline and I just don't really see it that way I think maybe the one thing that you could take issue with is that maybe you just don't think that Keon Johnson is that good from the Clippers but if they valued him at the level of a first rounder and they've had a lot of success developing guys with great tools like Anthony Simons and Nasir Little and Mo Harkless before that a lot of really good players that they've been able to evolve into contributors so I think you know he was drafted 21st this year hasn't played much you know, there's a little driving the new car off the lot a little bit, but I'm not sure that there was a first rounder out there for Robert Covington. Certainly, it seems like there wasn't. And then for Powell, he was on the, uh, he's on such a long contract that, you know, I'm not sure that anybody really, really wanted him that badly. Surely they must have canvassed the league pretty well. And then I thought they got a really good return in, in the McCollum trade. And I don't actually think, you know, if they could re-sign Nurkic, like, I don't think they're actually going to be that much worse of a team next year than they would have been this year with all these guys healthy and than they were with all these guys healthy so you know i think they did pretty well to pick up a bunch of assets not actually get that much worse now is that going to appease damian lillard maybe not but i don't know if there was any appeasing damian lillard so i, I don't know Danny, what's your reaction to that then maybe we can talk about simon's and nurkic's markets we're, we're broadly in agreement i think that the most important piece to maximize was was cj i think the timing on trading him was correct and i think that the return they got was strong and there are many times that it can be a focus on 
oh, well, they didn't get multiple first-round picks. It's a lot harder to get a lottery pick, which is potentially, now there's some protection on it, the the lottery pick is a lot harder to get than two late firsts. And that seems more likely, you know, more comparable for what's happened or a late first and a player of late first value. RJ Hampton's an interesting example there in the Aaron Gordon trade. I personally prefer higher-end assets to lower-end assets. There's an interesting parallel with this in the Tyrese Halliburton for Sabonis deal, where, again, it looked like it was going to be multiple firsts. Well, they got a better player than you would normally expect for that Halliburton was underdrafted and has been become a become a solid pro. Nurkic's value, I think, is going to be challenging because A, there are not many teams that are going to have cap space. I was actually just working on my projections that are going to go, you know, they'll be at the athletic probably end of this week or so. Roughly six teams with cap space. I don't know that any of them are looking at him for center. So then maybe, I mean, maybe a team goes over the mid-level, but I would be a little bit surprised. The mid-level is richer now than it was before. And so I would I would be surprised if he got more than a starting salary of $10 million. In Nurkic, when he's healthy, is a very capable player. You could argue that that's underpaying him, but he's also below that threshold, especially when you count for availability of the guy that's, oh yeah, he's definitely in your closing five, you know, like the Embiid's and Jokic's of the world. So I think, I think it's going to be a slim market for him overall, especially with the supply being so high. Simons, there will definitely be interest. The production that he has put on and yes he is extremely limited defensively but also like we talked Nate and I talked about this in a 15 and 60 a little while back the some of the kind of compartment numbers with him you know like synergy splits and all that are really compelling you know pick and roll stuff and we'll get a larger sample now obviously over the course of this year so I wouldn't be surprised if a team busted out a pretty significant offer for him especially maybe one of these teams the Magic are probably a good example of this even though they have Cole Anthony of a team that doesn't have to use cap space at the year. So they go after Miles Bridges or they go after Simons. And if they don't get them, kick the can down the road another year. San Antonio conceptually could be another one of those. They just open up a spot next to DeJounte training Derek White. Yeah, I would say to me, I'm guessing Nurkic is going to be between 23 and 30 million guaranteed. And Simons will probably be between 70 and 90 million guaranteed would be my guess. But uh, Francis, you got any any thoughts there? What do you think? Uh, I'm I'm I was afraid that Simons would get uh, a bit like a uh, hundred million for four years, yeah. like, given how, how how well he has been playing these three matches and these twenty or so matches. And I think Nurkic won't have a good market because uh, he he may. I think he may not be that good of a person to work in other team to be frank uh, because uh, his reputation is not that good and his injury record is not that good as well yeah yeah you might be right about simons i might be underrating him honestly i guess we'll see what he does the rest of the year i mean if he leads this team into the playing spot you know maybe his market will uh, really be higher than i think and maybe nurkic could be lower too i mean that's my best guess but i i could easily obviously see it falling outside of, the, of that range thanks francis great to hear from you who's up next here danny tim you're on the air hey what's going on guys how are you um i'm just curious to hear your thoughts on what's going on in boston right now um it seems though you know they're kind of clicking at the moment um and i'm specifically curious about you know where they stand in the eastern conference hierarchy along with who are you guys going with down the stretch obviously you have Derek white at the deadline um you know that's definitely the option i'd rather go because i can't watch al horford close games out there anymore thanks guys i've been very impressed yeah go ahead ahead, sorry go ahead sorry danny i've been very impressed with the celtics over the last few weeks the defense has has looked a lot a lot better 
better overall. They have plenty of talent on that end, something I was fixating on earlier in the season. And the offense has looked more cohesive during this most recent stretch. Tatum's had some hot games. Jalen Brown, of course, has had some. But also just the overall ecosystem. They're moving the ball better. And I really like the idea of Derek White there. That first game, you could see the jolt when he played because he's, he can pass the ball well. And he, White, has he takes less off the table than Marcus Smart. You could argue that he adds less, especially defensively. But I think that having more options, like you were saying, Al Horford doesn't necessarily need to close games. At times, maybe you don't need Marcus Smart if the team doesn't have a matchup that he really benefits. Maybe you want another shooter to keep the team honest. So I, I think that Ime Udoka having some options now is very useful. But in my kind of like against an average opponent, Horford's probably not in my closing five for the Celtics. Now. Yeah, you could think awesome. great. You could throw Grant Williams in there too. And then Sure. As far as where they are in the hierarchy, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Zach Levine and this knee and whether Ball and Caruso can get back. I think I would pick the Celtics over the Bulls. I think I would pick them over the Cavs. Who knows what the hell is going on with the Nets? Uh, but I think they even could give a Nets team with part-time Kyrie and no Joe Harris trouble. I think they could even give Philly some trouble, maybe. I mean, I think I would probably pick Philly over them, but obviously we got to see how all these teams are going to look post-deadline now. And, you know, I don't think that they would beat Miami or... Uh, that they would beat Milwaukee, but uh, they still don't really have a, a great guy to guard Giannis. But I, I think, and, and even against Miami, like they could turn that into a total rock fight, like two great switching defenses. You could see them really struggling to score. And then in a more macro sense about them, I think now with this white trade, what they've accomplished is they've given a runway to Jason Tatum and Jalen Braun. If those guys can develop into true top 15 players, all NBA type of players over the next couple of years, they have enough around them that this team could maybe contend or at least be a team that's you know a second round playoff team in the east and maybe getting into the finals kind of around where they've been frankly but so now it's kind of on Tatum and Braun who they are trying to build around and the wings tend to develop a little bit later those guys are still pretty young so I think they've done enough now with this white acquisition that they've given those guys an ecosystem a defense enough shooting enough passing enough fast breaking that they could build a contender if those guys really 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 hit you know if they're gonna kind of both be lower end all-stars then no they're not a contender but I think they could be if those guys really blow up now because they have very good fitting pieces around them sure do you guys think they'll be active in the uh buyout market um if so you think it's a big big that they really need you know a true five or you think they really are looking for more shooting they, they got to get I, somebody right <laughs> I mean, they, they, <laughs> yeah i know they got five i know they got five roster spots yeah. open you're right but, well they, they, they only did have sign three now because they signed hauser right. and cornet oh, true, um, but true. The, the big challenge on the buyout market is its opportunity and visibility i think are two big factors that players are considering and the celtics have a deep enough rotation that i don't think players are going to go oh i can step in you you brought up a shooter that would be an interesting exception to that but they have clear-cut starters at a lot of positions they have a pretty solid rotation at a lot of spots and the celtics like so the other way the other exception to that is like maybe a team that could make a longer run so you can be a smaller part of a bigger picture and i think the celtics are going to be involved with a lot of these players but my instinct is they're not going to get them i think like Dragic, for example if he's interested and like the bucks are one archetype and then another archetype would be maybe Maybe like a, a team that needs him more. And 
and if you could do one or you know like the depending on what he wants and Miami I've brought up before as a possibility but I I my instinct is that the Celtics are going to have trouble on the buyout market because their team is just too good yeah they awesome. could use Thanks. they they have a fourth guard slot of playing time that I think they could upgrade over Pritchard or over Neesmith there that's probably would be the biggest spot um yeah but I'm very interested in seeing what the Celtics team is going to do I mean very quietly they have been playing as well as anyone in the east since it turned over to the new year man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easy to remember slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium slub crew tee, the no BS high rise pant, 
the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that capspace code to let them know you came from us let's go to thomas you are on the air thanks guys appreciate it a related question so if the season ended today the celtics and the Cavs would play in the 3-6 game who would you pick in that matchup well, I already, I already said Boston. What about you, Danny? I worry that Cleveland doesn't have enough ways to attack offensively. Like this is they typically teams that are a little bit one dimensional when they face really good opposition, it can it can grind down a little bit. And I don't think Levert is that guy just yet. I don't think he's probably going to be that guy for a while. He did have a nice playoff run. Nate brought this up. I'd forgotten about this. And was that nineteen twenty that he did pretty uh, well? For 18, the Nets 19. In that? 18, 19. Yeah, but that was you know a five. So game series. I and and also one of the things that the Cavs defense does so well is protect around the rim and not foul. I'm not as th- that's not taking as much away from the Celtics as it is some other teams. So I think that I, I think I would pick the Celtics in the series, but A, the Cavs would have home court as of now. Oh, actually, well, so they would as the records are right now. If I was looking at 538's projections was actually has it flipped. So I think I, I would pick the Celtics in the series, but I this Cleveland team has confounded me every single opportunity. So, you know, it's it's not like it's a 75-25 for me. It's maybe more of like a 60-40, 55-40. Yeah, I would say that as well. If you think about the matchups, you know, I think the Cavaliers are not really a particularly versatile team. Now, you might say, hey, uh, Evan Mobley and Allen are just going to wall off the rim, but trying to play guys like Markinen, Kevin Love defensively, the Cavs don't really have anyone to guard both Tatum and Brown. If you look at the starters, like Evan Mobley is probably going to have to guard one of those two guys in the, the starting lineup, maybe, or you're going to have to put Lavert on one of those two guys, which that's that's not too amazing. Uh, the Celtics have pretty decent mid-range isolation attack which can thwart the Cavs rim protection a little bit and I also you know I'd be very interested to see if against Boston switching defense like is Darius Garland going to be able to beat those guys uh, one-on-one and take a, away the pick and roll you know is Jared Allen gonna be able to duck in for some quick post-ups Mobley you know I don't think he's at the point yet where he's going to be able to beat that and I also would say you know Imi Yudoka is a first-time head coach but I think that he you know, I haven't really seen JB Bickerstaff in the playoffs much except for Houston, I think, in that interim season. I don't think he's been in the playoffs other than that. Back in 16 was the only time. And, you know, I think I, Yudoka has a little bit more of a modern approach. I just think that Boston's a little bit more versatile. And then I also think that they easily have the best player in the series in Tatum as well. So with, with all those things, I think that I like Boston just has more ways that they can play, more ways that they can match up. They've got more experience as well than the main Cavs players do. So that's why I would favor Boston in that matchup, I think. But you're right, Danny. No, I agree. You know, we've kind of we've kind of crapped on Cleveland all season. And it, it's always tough when you do that, right? You're like, well, hey, sh- should I come around to these guys? And like, usually you sort of try to adjust and accept the reality of the way they've played. But you also, there are the reasons that your priors were your priors. And so I think that carries over a little bit into the playoffs as well. Sorry, what were you going to say there in reaction? I, I interrupted you. Oh, no, I, I agree. 
agree with you guys. I, I think it's interesting with Cleveland because typically the way this works with young teams is, you know, maybe they get kind of a lower seed. They sneak in as a seven or eight seed, a la the Memphis Grizzlies last year. I think for them to be at the top of the East with such a young team does kind of, when you think about it from a playoff perspective, sort of throw off what to expect. I mean, do you think that there's any team that you would favor them against um, in the East? Like if they went up against the Bulls, for example, in a four or five matchup, do you think that's a matchup for you for them? Or do you think they're going to be an underdog no matter who they go up against? Yeah, I might I think, think they might be. I think I think I'd have them I think I'd have them as an underdog unless they can get all the way up to like the one or the two and then maybe you can get some weaker opponents then. And and who knows, like with the way the Eastern Conference is right now, you might be getting strong opponents as the one or the two in the first round. We just have to see. I, I would even pick a healthy Hawks team to beat them, honestly. Wow. Uh yeah, I hadn't hadn't really given it a ton of thought, but let's go to Jared. Jared, you're on the air. <clears throat> hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Uh I actually have a, a history question for you guys. I was listening to the uh, trade deadline, the Ghost of Trade Deadlines past podcast uh, yesterday, and my question is: When did uh, pick protection on first round picks start becoming a, a major thing? Because I've been watching basketball or following the game since the early '90s, and I don't remember back then pick protections being such a big thing but listening to your guys's pod uh as you went through the years talking about how pick protections seem to be ramping up in the in the later years i was just wondering when did that happen and 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 i guess why was there a specific impetus that led to that so i think the uh the first one that i can recall and this is probably too late was the otis thorpe trade that led to oh yeah Memphis losing their number two overall pick and sending it to detroit which eventually became darko milicic that ended up being top one protected i think it may have been more protected in previous years but yeah because that led to of course the famous scene of jerry west sitting there as it gets into the the top two and then it's revealed that number two goes to uh detroit and if it he had a 50 percent chance of getting lebron james for memphis and or losing the pick entirely i mean that was what, what a fucking swing that was but before that i'm trying to think of trades that really came to mind for me in terms of protection before that and i can't that's the first lottery i can remember I, I, where we were like going crazy on it if you are you looking this up danny no i'm not but what i'm thinking of is i my instinct is is one of we talked about a trade that may have inspired some of this like basic okay we're not giving up a top three top four pick because of the change in lottery odds and my instinct is that the baron davis mo williams deal that basically that the the clippers got dumped the pick that became kyrie irving when they didn't really they could have put some loose protection on it i think that those sorts of deals spook teams a little bit also to a very basic point teams got smarter about valuing first rounders but they also got smarter about mitigating a pretty modest amount of risk and you could you know the idea that the other team couldn't demand it and especially when it you know we're trading for a pick that was of a team that you expected to be good it's like okay we're not going to fight this too hard you can do first allowable drafts and everything in the future so i i don't have i don't i'm i'm not as much of a historian but it also makes sense when you think about the kind of not only the version of the professionalization of the off 
court stuff, but also the valuing of first round picks getting much higher over recent years. Okay, so apparently the first pick that was ever protected was a trade that took place. Here, I'm reading this as we're going through. This is actually from a Ringer article. Who wrote this? Dane Chow. Uh, so in the mid 80s, this is before the 84 85 season. So 1984, a Pacers trade, they gave up a 1990 protected first rounder so apparently according to this article as i'm skimming it here uh they got terrence stansbury who uh did that spinning statue of liberty dunk in the dunk contest and some other guy that oh uh bill garnett for a protected 1990 first round pick so that's uh that was the first one apparently yeah and is this is the pick protection language in the cba or is that something that came in the that they put in the different iterations of the cba or is it just something that's kind of always been allowable but never like formally codified i don't know if you guys know anything about that um, can i can i go to can i go to property tax class here it's like the the basic way to think about it like so my teacher taught me that property rights are like a bundle of sticks and so teams always as i understand it had the right to do this it was just not something that was in vogue there are some specific rules which i believe are in the cba they might be in the you might know this nate whether the, so basically the idea that you have to it has to be protected for at least five picks you know so you can't do like top one you can't you can't have the pick only convey if it's 60 or something like that there are some specific rules there and then the stepian rule is kind of another part of this which is that you can't be without a first round pick in two consecutive drafts it's been misstated and misinterpreted including at times by me and but that is the basics of that is that you cannot be without a first round pick in consecutive drafts that is codified again somewhere i can't remember exactly where i think that is actually in the cba whereas the like what you can protect that might be like more in the in the bylaws or something like that um but yeah i do not know that question off the top of my head and i'm not going to speculate on it any further i think we did a pretty good job answering this one off the top of our head though right do do some some quick googling um all right thanks for that jared let's uh move on yeah thanks guys Let's move on here Let's to, get to John. John. Yeah. Hey guys, yeah. So as a fan of the Kings, um, I want to get your opinion on um, what the league is thinking regarding the play-in tournament and how it's working for them and whether they're going to continue it. You know, because and the backdrop is that you know four teams were tanking since the beginning of the season. Uh, I think I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Portland and um, Indiana are kind of positioning themselves for a end of season reset. Um, one season reset, but a lot. But the, at least the Pelicans and the Kings are pushing for the play-in. The Spurs are probably just trying to get pop as many wins as they can get him. Uh, I don't know the East as well. So, what do you think about the play-in? What they think of it? You know, do they like it? Is it, is it doing what they wanted to do? Because it just seems so crazy to me that, a, that the play-in in the, in the West is point four one four, you know, four four fourteen record. So. It certainly appears to me that the league is getting what they want from this, and that is more teams being in the mix, more teams trying to be competitive, and they got some really high-profile matchups in year one. And so if you're trying to influence behavior, if you're trying to get television ratings, I don't know the numbers on it, but I'm guessing it did pretty well, and you're trying to get these these teams kind of around the middle to have something to fight for, to have something to play for, to have the fans of these teams engaged. So I would be very surprised, knowing what I know right now, I don't have too much input into the league office nate i think has better memories of what they said last year i would be very surprised 
if the play-in was gone at some point. I My inclination, and Nate and I talked about this a lot last year, and my opinion on it has not changed. I personally think certain teams, not every team, I think the Raptors last year were a, a good counterexample of this, are overvaluing the ninth and 10th spots because what they give you is maybe one home game and then a chance to potentially make the playoffs and you're facing the one or the, you're in, and if you're the eight, nine or 10, you're facing the number one seed. And very few teams get the number one seed and are very, very beatable in round one. It has happened ever, of course. But it's, so what are you fighting for? And yeah, if you can get to eight, if you can get to seven, if you can get to six, it is a different calculus. But that is my interpretation of how teams should approach it. That is something entirely different of whether it will exist or it should exist. Yeah, I think it's it's here to stay. I think it is probably a good thing for the league. And maybe I think it kind of allows teams that want to value that they can go for it. The teams that don't can cannot. But I think it's just led overall to just better basketball down the end of the season than it would have at other times where more teams are still fighting. More teams are trying to avoid the play in as well. Uh, remember to stay in the top six. You know, those teams are fighting harder than they would be also. And let's not forget this as well. Ethan Strauss pointed this out, which I thought was a good point that the league essentially created this and gave it away for free to the TV partners as far as we know, right? There are no fewer regular season games as of now. So they're getting all the same number of games that they would have gotten already. And now they're getting these four, or I guess uh, six games that are really interesting and are also uh, a good TV product. So I'm sure the TV networks have no interest in them ending this, right? Like, And they're getting into negotiating these new contracts i wouldn't see them wanting to end that like it definitely helps the ratings it helps keep the regular season more interesting at the end so i think it's really a win for everyone and the teams that want to go for it and want to create that excitement with their fan base they can teams that want to pull a toronto because they didn't really even have a fan base last year they can do that as well or teams that want to pull a portland this year so i think it's been a success and i think it will stay and i think it should stay thanks guys appreciate it yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, I mean, Dan, like, are there any downsides to the play-in as you see it right now? It leads some teams down a path that I think can be destructive. It the allure of yeah. being the ninth but, or but tenth so seed, the eighth pushes, seed, right? Like, I guess there's sure. Not just but more well, there of a there chance. are teams. There are some teams. Yeah, there are some teams that might not be in the mix for the eight, but are in the mix for the nine and ten. So it leads them down. I mean, I was critical of the Bulls last year, and it set the table for this year when they've been much more successful. So even those, and that's giving teams an opportunity to um, to motivate themselves to screw something up like they were probably going to find that opportunity anyway like that's just the way this works out and there aren't that many other downsides and honestly giving a separation between the teams that are trying and the teams that aren't in that you know like i'm fine i'm fine with that as well it's a it is a reasonable thing and with lottery reform being more balanced at least for now until the or until a team jumps twice in the lottery gets the top pick again and they we get orlando magic too and it happens and they change the lottery reform back it's going to happen in the next 10 years we'll see we'll see what happens yeah and it's just anything that makes the regular season matter more i'm down for and i think this is a anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else 
you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Accomplish that. I got to bring in El Gordo here. We haven't talked to him since the Porzingis trade. Let's let's get him in here. What do you think of that trade, man? Oh, I've been on a three-day bender just celebrating, honestly. (laughs) This is uh, (laughs) my first time I'm getting any kind of sleep. And it's just, honestly, it's just... You know, I, I always knew this. I hope this day would come, but it's better than I could have even imagined. But I wanted to ask you guys about the Suns, right? I feel like they are a regular season freight train, and especially with CP3s and Devin Booker's stats and crunch time, do you feel like that sort of efficiency late in games makes them a true championship contender? Because there's just something about them that I'm not buying, and I know that right now they're the you know they're the betting favorites to win the title. But do you guys really view them in that way, or what do you think they need to prove to you guys before then for you to really consider them like the title favorites? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing they can do to prove anything until the playoffs. I I would say, but um, and yeah, those clutch numbers like Chris Paul teams generally are very good in the clutch, at least in the regular season. I would favor a healthy Warriors team over them. I would definitely put them number two. And if Draymond Green isn't back at 100%, I would probably have the Suns favored. I mean, any team that's winning, you know, over 60 games is clearly a championship threat, I would say. But, you know, I do think that there's some something to what you're saying, this idea that it's a, there's this kind of regular season alchemy. They don't really have a top 10 player in the NBA on their team. It's kind of, it all fits together really well. They're really well coached. But the question of, do they have like just that crazy player playoff gear that's a little bit of a question to me you know i mean they they didn't beat a real team in last year's playoffs so it's really hard to take a ton of that away uh, uh, to say that. But, you know, I mean, they're a very good team. I think they got a pretty good chance of winning the West and, uh, you know, probably about as good a chance as anyone is winning the championship. But I do agree. Like, that's not, you know, I don't think that their absolute top end is as high as maybe the Warriors. Although, I, I, I mean, I don't know, Danny, what do you think? Like, there isn't really that team that just looks totally unbeatable right now. There is not a juggernaut. And potentially one of these teams getting healthier like the Clippers or Denver could do it, but I mean, odds are that they will not be there, even if their players come back, that they won't be 100%. The nu- I-, I can kind of condense this into two things, which is versatility and undeniability. And the the Suns, to me, aren't really either of those. They aren't undeniable. Like, I, I Devin Booker can be amazing in games, but I don't think of him as that, like, oh, there's nothing you can do. He's just going to drop that. And Chris Paul, as great as he's been, as much as I've driven and been a passenger on the Chris Paul hype train over the years, he's not really that guy either. And Ayton and Bridges, they're, they're 
they're wonderful players, but they don't have that like, oh shit, like that that type of player right now on yeah. this team to me. Uh, Devin Booker ensemble. can be that at times, but I think he's just yes. a little bit too inconsistent or, you know, in the wrong matchup that he can can be handled okay. And and part of part of what makes the Suns so good is that they have this functional depth. They have a lot of players they can do. They're they're extremely well coached as well, and those those bring more modest returns in the playoffs when everybody's playing their best players more when the coaching of course can help and and also like you brought up the idea of that they didn't face anybody last year and that's what's why we're always going to be hesitant until we get there because like they they faced the lakers and i thought they were losing that series yes chris paul was limited but they were going to lose that series until anthony davis got hurt then they faced the nuggets who were shorthanded and then they faced the clippers who were extremely shorthanded and they won both those series handily but they so they and then they faced the bucks we weren't sure what Giannis was going to be and once Giannis was himself like even close to himself they got beat in the in the series so the idea that there will usually be teams better than what the the three teams that the Suns dispatched last year and so could they dispatch those teams absolutely they could be a better team than they were everything else but historically like for me I'm always reluctant to kind of crown a team unless they've done that or there is some sort of fundamental reason to believe that they could and I'm not all the way there just yet. Um, well, El Gordo, can I ask you though? Like, I mean, mo- most Mavs fans seem like they're super down on this Porzingis trade. Why do you not feel that way? Uh, well, because I'm a degenerate gambler, I watch a lot more of the league than the average Maverick fan. They watch all Maverick games, but they typically don't watch other teams. And so some of them haven't seen Dinwiddie play in two and a half, three years. And so what they do is they look at basketball reference, they look at the shooting splits, which admittedly, they're they're not great. But I tend to lean on the fact that even back when he was in Brooklyn, um, it was the type of shots that he was asked to take, a lot of on-the-move three-point shots, where, yeah, the he wasn't going to be efficient on those shots. But I feel like with a reduced role, playing next to Luka, I feel like the shot quality would improve. And if he can be just league average in terms of three-point field goal percentage, and if he can get to the rim and draw up and get to the free throw line, I feel like that's a, a contributing player. I won't say he'll impact winning in a significant way, but I feel like it's still better than not having Kristaps Porzingis in the lineup for however many games. Because if Toronto looked at his medicals and said no thanks, that leads me to believe he's probably a ticking time bomb. And as Bill Belichick once said, it's probably better to you know to move on one year early than one year too late. And so I think if he suffers like a season-ending injury, Mavs fans will look at this trade a lot differently than they are now. Yeah, I, I am going to have to correct you, though. I believe it was Dodgers executive Branch Rickey who came up with that that phrase initially, like back in the 50s. Uh, I, I read too many baseball history books uh, as a child, uh, but, but Bill Belichick could be the modern day guy who did that. Uh, okay, thanks for that. Uh, always good to talk uh, Mavs with you, El Gordo. Let's uh, bring in Bird's Gang here. Or bird uh, I gang. Think, Sorry, I, I have I have late I have late bloomer in the in the speaker. Hey, there we go. Hey, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I missed that. I was just I don't know if you guys just covered uh, uh, Dejounte Murray's ascent. You know, he's been playing really well since January, and I think in one of your fifteen and sixties when we were covering um, the Spurs, you mentioned how it seemed like yeah, the numbers were good, the volume were up. Uh, but, you know, his half-court offense was still a bit mediocre. But I think since January, I think he's scoring in, like, in the mid-20s and on close to league average efficiency, which is much better than his 
typical 50%, you think like he can actually become that? Because uh, I'm not really, I wasn't really convinced he's an all star player, but he can actually take that leap. Is that like a realistic path for him? Yeah, I just wonder like what the path is for him to be like he's a very solid all-around player now at this point and uh, I think his defense has slipped a little bit this year because he's just had so many offensive responsibilities but I think on another team with more around him I I have no reason to think that that wouldn't still be really good so you know I think he's a little bit kind of sub all-star I thought the you know with like AD injured Zion injured Dame injured the threshold to be an all-star was a little bit lower this year but uh, to me I just wonder like what is the threat that he provides offensively that is making you change up your scheme to do something different you know he's not really getting to the foul line that much he's not getting on top of the rim and finishing you know he's got the ball all the time so he sets up a lot of passes he's made himself into a very good mid-range shooter but is he going to get so good at that like Chris Paul that now you got to change your defense to account for that or a team's still going to say yeah you know what we'll we're going to deal with this you know we don't want to give it up but we're not going to totally change our scheme to take that away for example so that's kind of my thought but he is young enough where maybe he can continue to refine his skill set you know I think his passing is continuing to get better even throughout this season so I'm that's kind of my thought on him though is just as a point guard the guy that you're going to put it in his hands every time I'm not sure how he evolves to the point where he's really just striking fear into the heart of the defense it's something we'll have to reconcile to a point whenever we do top 10 point guards but we're not we're not there quite yet but yeah the idea that he can be the end like the sole engine for a really really high end offense the Spurs have been better this year um actually in terms of half court offense they're pretty much the same with with him on but they have weaker talent this year um you know without without DeRozan around so yeah I've been very impressed with Murray's development and this you we talked earlier about stickiness of priors and everything else, but when you watch him and when you watch the Spurs, the idea that he's that he's going to be the rising tide that lifts all boats to the level that they need to like really make a threat in the playoffs, I'm still not quite there yet, even though I'm thrilled with how he's done. Okay, I think we got time for one more here, Danny, and how appropriate. That, it has to be. That, that we will end it with Chris. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I uh... how, how have your last four days been? Oh, yeah, that's right. You know... You know, um, it's been good. Can't complain. My team's got James Harden now. Kind of done with the Ben Simmons saga, so it's nice. Um, my question for you guys is, am I crazy for thinking that I don't, I don't feel as worried or nervous? Or I guess the better way to phrase this is, am I crazy for thinking that both of these teams, the Nets and the Sixers' future outlook – um, am I crazy for thinking that both of these teams in the future, they, their, their future kind of looks similar, if that makes sense? Like, I don't necessarily feel like the Nets are going to be a miles and away better team in three years than the Sixers might be. Um, given with Kevin Durant's injury history, I mean, it's a, it's a big body to have all those injuries on. You know, Kyrie's uncertainty. You know, I, I just I feel like it kind of broke even for both teams. Like, yeah, I get, you know, James Harden could leave after this year, could leave that for two years, and B could get her after a few years. But I don't feel nearly as bad about this trade as I would if, like, we would have given up, like, Maxi. Um, you know, Thibault not as much, but especially Maxi. I feel like we have a little bit of something to lean on if we had to, like, really pivot hard into a rebuild. Um, I know we still have that Harris contract, but am I am I weird for, like, not being that worried about the immediate future for the Sixers? 
Uh, no, I mean, the immediate future is pretty good. You got Joel Embiid, who might be the best uh, per minute regular season player in the NBA, and you just added James Harden to him. I think you, given what you got from Ben Simmons in the playoffs last year, you, no matter what you think of James Harden, that's a, an upgrade. And also, I think you're, you don't have Kyrie Irving on your team, so you can still feel pretty good about that. And you, you've got a, a really good executive in, in Daryl Morey. It would have been great to hold on to Seth Curry. They just, they couldn't do that ultimately, it, it sounds like. And I mean, I, I don't know like I don't see this team as like the favorite in the east but they'll be a solid team for the next couple years they've got a higher upside than they had before so I mean I think I'm not like oh man these guys are the championship favorites or anything but I don't see any reason to like feel terrible about where they're at or anything like that is is that like a common sentiment I just I think that like the common theme among Sixers fans, it's funny. You know, they were clamoring to get rid of Ben Simmons. They just wanted to trade him for, you know, for a Brogdon or for even like at some point, like a Malik Beasley. Um, They wanted to get rid of him so bad. And then we finally did. Right. And we traded him for essentially at the time, the best piece that we could have traded him for. And now at least in some circles, they're like, you know, he's going to be amazing. He's going to be amazing with the nets, all these shooters, all this stuff like that. So there is kind of some, uh, some some regret among some yeah, Sixers, but he also fans about the trade. Play another game for the franchise, so it doesn't matter what he was going to be, right? Exactly, and that's why I just equate this trade to essentially being Seth Curry and and two firsts for James Harden. Ben Simmons was never going to play another game for us again. Andre Drummond is going to be a free agent in a year. I don't think he'll come back to the Sixers. I think he actually played himself into getting a pretty. De- I could be wrong. You guys are the cap guys. But I think he played himself into getting a little bit more money than we would have expected a year or so ago. I mean, I thought he was I thought he was fine with the Sixers. I thought he played well. Yeah. He was definitely, in my opinion, the best backup that Embiid's ever had. That's, yeah, it, that great, is you wouldn't say Greg Monroe? Uh, I think a traffic cone with Greg Monroe's jersey would be would have been better than Greg Monroe. <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's interesting the the way you phrase that question because um, Matt Moore and I did a pod on th- on Friday last week for Real GM Radio and what what his the criteria was was like championship viability over the next three years you know so not just this year but moving forward we both had the Nets and the Sixers kind of right next to each other in our second tier and the idea was they're going to be in the mix and there is a theory for both teams of how it could work. That is kind of in the abstract right now because we haven't seen these guys play together. And in the Nets case, it's like, are we ever going to see them play together for seven games in a playoff series? And for Philly, like, it's interesting. Like, I, I'm worried about, I was worried about any team hitching their wagon to James Harden. You know, like right now, a team that wants to be a championship contender. But I agree with you that James Harden was the best 2022-23 player that they could have reasonably gotten. And Harden, the, the fit with Embiid, it could be really potent. And Harden, as much as we feared that his body and his game were going to break down at least for the time he was available for the Nets over the last year he has pretty much been the player that we could have hoped and expected now the availability is a huge problem there so could it work yes Am I convinced that it will? No, but I could be convinced. Like we, we will get that opportunity hopefully in over the next three months. But that the idea that it's, I mean, and this is something that Nate has articulated incredibly well, is the timeline for Joel Embiid is not the same as most players' age. And Harden, I think you're you're not committing to the right time of his career necessarily because I don't, I don't know how every part of his game is going to age and more specifically his body. But there comes a point where you kind of need to make Make, you kind of need to make this kind of decision. And so that's why, even though I wasn't as enthusiastic, I'm still extremely excited to see how it bears out. All right, well, this is it'll fun. Be, it'll be fun. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. 
No, I was just I was just going to say it'll it'll be fun. Uh, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time as always, and uh, I missed it, but you guys are legends. <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, sounds good, and uh, thanks everyone for joining. And we are going to be taking some time off here. Might have one more pod. I'm not sure whether that's coming out tonight or maybe tomorrow, but uh, then we're going to take some time off. We'll actually throw out a couple of interesting reruns for you guys, though, uh, including the one that we did after the hardened trade last year i think that'll make for interesting fodder for people as well so talk to you all again soon thanks for joining till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 